invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. I want to read the first 19 verses of that chapter. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11. And while you're looking that up, let me just alert you to the fact that this morning I begin with you a short series of sermons. I think there's seven or eight parts in it on this particular chapter. I know we will be interrupted by the Advent season and Lord's Supper service, but I want to start this this series, and Matthew chapter 11 opens up with John being in prison, and uh, he is having doubts about whether Jesus actually was the one that he had been looking for, and then it, throughout all of the chapter, Jesus rebukes the Jews, especially the Jewish leaders, because they refuse to repent, and at the very end of the chapter, it ends with those very famous passage where Jesus says, come, come unto me. Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I want to begin that series with this morning. I want to read the first 19 verses, and I want to pay close attention with you to the verses 2 through 6 is our text. But Matthew chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 1, this is the word of God. Now, <clears throat> now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. <clears throat> And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the day of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is come, or to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like the children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Then I want to return to verse 2. I want to read the verses 2 through the end of verse 6 as our text this morning. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Thus far, 
the reading of God's holy word. May God add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word again this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered here in Salem with me this morning. The words of our text of this morning bring us immediately face to face with the central theme of all of the New Testament. But in order for us to open and understand the text, we need to first of all fix it in its context. You see, historically, the text takes place while John the Baptist was imprisoned. He had publicly criticized uh, the marriage of Herod Antipas to his brother's former wife, Herodias. You know the story. And that had angered Herod, and he had John arrested. However, while he was incarcerated, he was apparently still allowed visits and, and assistance from his disciples, and they would regularly come to see him. Then one day they came to him sharing doubt about the legitimacy of the one John had pointed out to be the Messiah. They came to John and questioned if John could have been wrong. They discussed their concerns with John, and finally John sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says, he, said, he says to them, go, go and ask him, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? In other words, the question was, are you the Messiah uh, whom we had been expecting all these years, or are we mistaken? For if we are wrong about you, we'll need to find the other, or we'll need to wait for him to still come. And the same question, congregation, rings down throughout all of the New Testament. And the same question is urged upon men and women in the pew and preaching from every faithful pulpit yet today. The question comes even to you here in Bowmanville this morning. The question is, is this the one? Is he the one whom we have been looking for? And so at the very outset, we are confronted here with that great all-encompassing theme of the person of Jesus Christ. We are reminded that Christianity is not, first of all, a philosophy or a teaching. It's not just a dogmatic or systematic theology, nor is it even a way of life or a lifestyle. No, Christianity, in the first instance, is a personal relationship to the person of Jesus Christ. The New Testament will not even discuss with us the kind of life we're going to live until we have, first of all, come to an agreement on a satisfactory answer about the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible refuses to discuss our questions and our problems except in terms of the person of Jesus Christ. The scripture comes to us and says, all of the answers of life are here for you. But before you can discover how you are to live, more importantly, before you can discover how you are to die, you will need to answer, first of all, the question, what do you make of him? What does, how does Jesus, where does Jesus fit into your scheme of things? What is his position in your entire outlook on life? People of God, the question here is, what think ye of the Christ? That question, let me emphasize again, is a question that is vital and central to all of Christianity. All things taught us in the New Testament focus on and evolve around the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible starts with making the amazing claim, 
that he was the son of God come in the world in the flesh in order to save Adam's fallen race. And the Bible says so emphatically that there is no other name under heaven by which men and women can be saved. You begin, I hope, to see the significance of the question which we begin this morning. The answer to the question, are you the one whom we seek out of, out of necessity, also answers our questions concerning our life in this world. And it answers our questions concerning the meaning of death. It answers our questions concerning our life throughout eternity. In fact, all questions in life and in death evolve around and are determined by our answer to that question, what think ye of the Christ? And such a statement is certainly a dogmatic assertion, I grant you. And from many quarters today, we would hear murmurs of protest. Today it is held by many that dogmatics or doctrine or doctrinal differences especially, they are of little import in this whole matter of Christianity. And yet, and yet there is no more doctrinal book in all of the world than the New Testament. And surely these doctrines cannot be given us as options. Surely if we want to maintain the biblical truth that all of scripture is given us by the inspiration for, for reproof and instruction, then certainly the dogmatic doctrines about the person of Christ are not given us to simply receive them for information. In fact, no. In fact, all these doctrines are set before us and the command is to believe and to live these doctrines. The Bible makes clear pronouncements about the way of salvation. The Bible clearly spells out for us the way to be delivered from the kingdom of darkness. Here is the way, says the Bible. Here is the only way which men and women can be delivered from the fear of death and the grave. And here is also the only way, says the New Testament, that men and women can learn to know and expect an eternity in hell. Those two roads. Those two roads are set before us, and in order to choose the path of life or death, we need to begin with asking and answering that fundamental question, what think ye of the Christ? The biblical message is clear. John writes in chapter 3, He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, but he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So obviously the people of God, it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. It's a road to blessedness or a road to destruction. The road to eternal blessedness is only by the way of the Christ. Everything then is dependent upon our answer to the question of, the, of Christ. Are you the one? Are you the one whom we seek? And what must be clear to us now is that in this context is that the Bible, the Bible would have us know that he is central, he is first, and a correct understanding about the person and the work of Christ is a prerequisite to a life of peace. If we're wrong about him, we're wrong about everything else, no matter how sincere we might be in our confession of Christianity. And so I want to minister God's word here this morning using as my theme, John the Baptist seeks confirmation of the Christ. John the Baptist seeks confirmation of the Christ. We want to hear, first of all, the, the all-inclusive question of John 
And then we want to consider the all-exclusive answer of Christ. So John seeking uh, confirmation of the Christ, the inclusive question of John, and the exclusive question or answer of Jesus. So as our text opens up, we discover that John had well understood the importance of the question. We read that he sent two of his disciples to ask him, are you the one whom we seek? And at first reading, this incident surprises us somewhat. After all, uh, we had read that at one time, while standing with some of his followers, he saw Jesus. And he turned to his followers and he cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now here we see him inquiring if perhaps, perhaps he had been wrong about this Lamb of God. How can that be? Well, we need to understand this question of John in its context. People of God, the context is always so important. You see, chapter 3 of Matthew introduces the Baptist as a prophet sent by God to prepare the way for the Christ. We all know that. And he did so. His message was repent and believe for the kingdom is at, is at hand and, and the judgment is near. And then in verse 10 of chapter 3, he cries out, the axe is already laid to the root of the tree. So then, according to John's understanding, everything lay ready for that final decisive judgment. All that was still needed was for the Messiah to come and to take up that action to cut down the tree in judgment. All trees that were not producing good fruit, meaning impenitent sinners then, would be uprooted at the coming of the Messiah. Or so he thought. But, but now the promised Messiah was supposedly here and this judgment had not happened. Instead of the anticipated judgment and deliverance, life went on as it was. And in fact, while the Messiah was supposedly here, John had been put into prison by Herod Antipas. That was not according to John's conception of things. That was not how he had expected things were, were to go. And we know that while he was in prison, he had not been forbidden to maintain contact with his disciples, and, and they regularly informed him of the work of Christ. And so he was well aware of what Jesus was doing. He knew of Jesus' miracles and his preaching, and understandably, John would have been extremely interested in the ministry of this Messiah, of whom he himself had prophesied. Understand well with me now. In the question, are you the one who was to come, he meant, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah whose coming I have been prophesying? His question indicated that somehow, somehow, somehow the ministry of Jesus did not fully conform to John's expectations of the person and the work of Christ. And that thought now is key for us to be able to understand the text. We need to discern carefully here for a moment, for we need to understand, we need to, we need to understand the preaching of John, and we need to capture the mind of John for a moment. And when we do that, his uncertainty, uncertainty doesn't surprise us. You see, John preached of a Christ who would come to separate the sheep from the goats. He would come to judge and condemn the world, and he would gather together and deliver his own. That's what he was told to prophesy, and that's what he did prophesy. However, John believed that the Messiah, once having come, 
would immediately bring that judgment that had been proclaimed and announced. In accordance with the nature of prophecy, John saw the future as a whole and did not distinguish the stages through which the prophecy would be fulfilled. In other words, John was confused in that the day of grace was extended beyond the coming of the Messiah. He was confused because he did not see immediate judgment. And although John's prophetic teaching was indeed the work of the Holy Spirit, and although John's prophetic ministry applied to Christ in every way, it should not surprise us that John was plagued with doubt when he heard of the course that Jesus' ministry was taking. But we need to understand something else here as well. You see, John was a Jew. And as most Jews, he believed that Jesus would not only bring immediate judgment, but also it was expected that Jesus would deliver the Jews from the occupation and the persecution of the hated Romans. And that too was not happening. And now here in our text, his disciples confront him. Picture him in your mind if you can. Picture him sitting there in the prison and his, and his disciples surrounding him saying, do you think you were right, John? Could you have been mistaken? We hear all these things he's doing, some things you prophesied and not doing other things, and, and many people are following him. Besides, John, if he really is the one who is to save us, would he not at least have delivered you from the bondage of this prison? Think about it, John. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps you're wrong about this guy. And so the argument goes back and forth, and finally we hear John, in the words of our text, instructing them, go, go then, go and ask him. Ask him, are you the one who should come, or should we seek another? And my dear people, God, the question, the question was of extreme urgency. It was no small matter. Are you the one, or do we seek another? Give us the answer, Lord, for it's vital to us. It is urgent that we know who you are. It's a matter of life and death that we know who you are. Are you the one on whom we are to pin all of our hopes in life and in death? Or do we seek another? Are you the one who was promised by God? Or are you an imposter? We need to know for the answer has eternal consequences for us. My dear congregation, what John and his followers had understood needs to be underscored by us today. It was then and it remains today paramount that we know exactly who it is on whom we depend to rescue us from the wrath of God. If, as the Bible tells us, that Jesus of Nazareth is the only hope for all of fallen humanity, then for us too, the all-encompassing question has to be, what think ye of the Christ? In other words, when we confess to believe in him, do we acknowledge him to be the one given us in the Bible? Or do we have a Christ of our own making? Do we have the Christ revealed to us by God? Or do we have one that has been pared down to accommodate to our, our own understanding? In other words, does our confession of Christ include all of the scriptural doctrines about him? Or do we, as is wont to be, to be done by many, do we, do we set aside the doctrines in favor of something more palatable to us? That was the question of John. It's the same question that must still be answered by men and women of every succeeding generation, including ours. And so two of John's disciples are sent to Jesus 
to inquire of him the question, who are you, really? And Jesus answers the question, but not as they had anticipated. And his answer must have been somewhat unsatisfactory, maybe even confusing to them. Jesus sends the disciples back to John and says to them, go, go and tell John the things you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Notice with me that Jesus does answer their question, but not directly. He did not give them the answer they hoped for or were looking for. Instead, in answer to their question, Jesus simply pointed them to his ministry of preaching and miracles. But all of that John already knew, and that was exactly what was troubling him. And in the minds of those disciples, their question had not been answered. Are you the one who was to come? That was the question. And so to that they needed answer. They had not yet received answer to their question. Or had they? My dear people of God, the significance of the manner in which Christ answered the question may not escape us. This was the only answer which could convince the doubters. And this was the only answer which could remove any doubts about his identity. You see... On the basis of the evidence of healing and miracles alone, it could not be determined that he was the one who they were looking for. After all, we read in Mark chapter 6 that even the disciples were sent out and they cast out demons and anointed many sick with oil and healed them. And consequently, it would be dangerous to pin all of their hope for time and eternity solely on that evidence of his ability to perform miracles. But what Christ does here as he points John to the only way in which he can be known. He points John to what has been prophesied about him. In other words, in other words, John, what does the Bible say about the one whom you expect? Jesus turns to John's disciples and says, you ask me if I am the one. I ask you, does the Bible confirm me as the one you had expected? Understand this well, it's an urgent concept, especially in the spiritual lethargy of the age in which we live. What Jesus says is, John, you had expected different from me. You had expected me to do different things. But go back and read your Bible, John. What does it say I would do? And now compare those things with my ministry to answer your question. See the things that I am doing. These are the things that inspired prophets said I would do. All through your Bible, John, it's told you that these are the things that the Messiah would be doing. How then can I be anything other than the Messiah? Jesus points John to the recorded scriptures and reminds him of Isaiah 35 where we read, then, meaning that at the coming of the Messiah, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. And he points him to Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. And by speaking of his miracles and his preaching ministry in this manner, Jesus gives to John the key to unraveling that mystery that had, been given, that had given rise to his doubt. He's pointing John to his Bible. It is there, says Jesus to John, and he says to you and to me, it is here, it's all here, it is, it, is, it is only here, it's only there that you can find the answer to the question, is, are you the one for whom we had been hoping and waiting? 
people got the question, had been answered. Go back and tell John, says Jesus. Go back and tell John that I'm doing the very things of which the prophets spoke of me in the Old Testament. So if you are in doubt, if there's question about the person and work of the one who was to come, go and search your Bible and determine there the answer. It's all there in amazing detail. And congregation to us is still the same commandment. If there is uncertainty about the Christ, it's all there and only there. In fact, says the Apostle Peter, we have the word of prophecy made sure. Make a list then. Make a list of all the things prophesied about him and see once how they're all verified in his ministry. But he goes on in the words of our text. A profound statement is made by him here, a statement which is extremely relevant even for us today, if not especially today. Blessed is he who is not offended by me. Blessed is he who is not offended, or some other translations have it, Blessed is he who does not stumble because of me. My dear precious saints of God, throughout all of redemptive history, there have been people who are offended by the Christ. You know what I mean. So many people unwilling or unable to accept or to believe certain things about him, and yet they want to be considered to be Christians. They modify or they pare down the scriptural givens of the Christ and they sift and sort the biblical information into two categories. Those things which they will believe and those things which give them difficulties. And then they accept the one and they reject the other, all the while proclaiming loudly that they love the Lord. And tragically, such people worship a God of their own making, just as surely as they would have carved him out of wood or stone. We need to understand this also in our age when so many people want us to believe that doctrinal differences are of little import and that ultimately they want us to believe that even with our differences, we worship the same Christ. People got even, even most of the alphabet people, you know who I'm talking about, they will tell you that Jesus knows them and Jesus loves them despite their disagreement about scripture. My dear people, God, do not be deceived. That is not the language of the Bible. The answer Jesus gives us here in the text would teach us that to teach or to believe that doctrinal differences are unimportant is itself, in and of itself, a false teaching. Jesus says, blessed is he who takes no offense at me. What does he mean? Well, taking offense at Christ takes primarily two forms. On the one hand, we have among us those who reject certain things of Jesus given us in the Bible. Remember the question is, are you the one? And Jesus answers in the affirmative and points to the Bible as evidence. Apparently then to have the Christ is to be in possession of him means then a complete and unreserved acceptance of the scriptural givens taught us about him. Let's work that out for a moment. When we search the Bible to determine what we are to look for in the Christ, the Bible speaks in absolutes. It insists, for example, that we believe in the miracle of the incarnation. In other words, the Bible insists that we believe that the Christ child in Bethlehem was the eternal Son of God who existed in the bosom of the Father from all eternity. It insists that, that he had now come in the flesh and entered life in the world. As, uh, and, and, and so it was God 
taking upon himself human form. That's doctrine. It goes on, then the Bible goes on about the claim of his virgin birth. It insists that we believe that he was born of a virgin, that he was conceived of the Holy Ghost, that he did not have a human father, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed a young virgin maiden, and that she bore a son, son of God, son of man. That's doctrine. Then the Bible wants us to know that this extraordinary teaching that he had two natures and was yet only one person. It insists that we believe that in him was both the human and the divine nature. Two natures, human and divine, but only one person. It's required of us to believe that he is God and man. That's doctrine. It insists further that we are to believe without reservation his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, his substitutionary vicarious atonement, his ascension into heaven, his intercessory work, and his second coming in glory. These are all doctrines which are non-negotiable. People of God, Christ here instructs the disciples of John to go back to John and tell him, blessed is he who is not offended by me. Happy is the man who does not find a source of offense in me. Blessed is the man who does not stumble because of me. Blessed is he who lets nothing stand in the way of a belief in all of the scriptural doctrines taught about me. People of God, we've just listed some of the things and and, and, and many more can be added, which are given to us in the form of absolutes, meaning non-negotiable truths or doctrines about the Christ. And yet, it is being suggested in many quarters that these doctrines are really insignificant as long as we love Jesus. Sounds so noble. These things really don't matter as long as we love Jesus. That, according to many people, that's the all-important thing. But here in the words of our text, listen carefully. Here in the words of our text, Jesus wants us to know that the all-encompassing question is not, do you love Jesus? No, the question is, do you love the Jesus given us in the Bible? Oh, there are tragic to be found so many people who claim to love the Christ but the things given them in the Bible are an offense, a stumbling block, an obstacle to them. Jesus, you know what I mean. Of course, I, I'm a Christian, but I simply cannot believe some of the things being taught about him. I simply cannot understand or believe some of the claims made. I can't believe in miracles. I can't believe in a virgin birth or in the incarnation. I can't understand and believe the deity of Christ. How can one person be both man and God? Real life isn't like that. These kind of things cannot be explained scientifically. These things I cannot rationally explain. And therefore I will be a Christian, but I will not accept, I will not accept or believe certain things that are taught me. Mighty people of God, we need to understand carefully here, for we are here at the very heart and essence of the Christian faith. Hear me well. We are here at the very heart and heartbeat of the Christian faith. The argument given by such men and women is true. These doctrines are not issues for abstract or philosophical discussions or consideration. They are not subjects which can be grasped by human reasoning and understanding. That is now the precise lesson being taught us by Christ. John sends his disciples to the Christ and says, Are you the one who was to come? And Jesus answers, Search the Bible. Blessed is he who believes, blessed is he who believes the things that have been foretold by the prophets. Oh, so true for us today. If we try to deal with the question in a rational or philosophical manner, 
if we try to reason out the identity of the Christ, we will never discover him. For if what the Bible says of him is true and right, then of its very necessity, he is something that transcends, something that goes beyond our human intellect, our human reasoning. The argument is that we cannot understand a miracle. Of course we can't. If we could rationalize it, if we could explain it, it would no longer be a miracle. We cannot understand the incarnation. Of course we can't. The human finite man cannot understand the things of God. Who can understand the virgin birth, the incarnation, the two natures of Christ? But this is precisely the claim of the gospel. It is a realm beyond the scope of our human understanding. It is a revelation, a statement of truth that comes to us from God simply to be believed. That's the precise nature of faith. Blessed is he who has not seen, but who has not understood and yet believes. That's faith. Blessed is he who takes no offense at the things written of me. But, but, but being offended at Christ can also take a different form. That kind of offense comes to expression here in the question of John the Baptist. That same offense at Christ is still very prevalent today. John had formed certain notions about what Christ would do when he came into the world. John expected certain things, and when Jesus' ministry turned out differently, doubt rose in his mind. And it was for that precise reason that Jesus points him to the Bible to determine if John's perception of the work of Christ could be confirmed in the scriptures. The same offense still plagues many sincere people and it is good that we examine this difficulty for a moment in the context of our text of this morning. What Jesus here instructing John and each of us this morning is that our understanding of the work of Christ must be in harmony with what the Bible tells us rather than on what we think Christ ought to be doing. In other words, we may not form our own opinions about what Christ must be doing. Rather, no, we are to listen to what the Bible reveals about what he would be doing. Failure to understand this has led to so many perplexing questions and problems and has been cause for stumbling for so many informed yet well in, ill-informed yet well-intentioned people. For instance, one of the most perplexing questions hurled at the doorsteps of the Christian church today goes something like this. If Christ exists, if God is love, why is there so much suffering in the world? If God is love, what then of all this serious illness and suffering among us? If God is truly love, what about all those people who are being slaughtered in the wars that we see today? What of the brokenness in my home? What about my wandering sons and daughters or grandchildren? Or People of God, when confronted with those kinds of questions, we need to learn from the instructions of our, that our Lord gives to John. When we begin to wrestle with those kinds of questions, then go and search your Bible. Do you read there that the coming, that the coming of the kingdom would alleviate suffering, that it would stop illness or death? Do we read there that, that there would be no more wars? Do we read that the Christ would alleviate suffering and wars and famine and pestilence and poverty, crime, or even, or even pandemics? Do we read that all men and women, even all men and women in Christian families, would embrace the gospel promise? 
Do we read that as the gospel advances in the world that the world will become a better or a more Christian place to live? No. A careful Bible student would discover that the exact opposite is given us in the Bible. We read that even at the close of the age there would be wars and rumors of war. In fact, we read that as it were in the days of Lot, they planted, they sowed, they were given in marriage until disaster descended upon them. Even so shall be these things when the Son of Man comes. Blessed is he who takes no offense of me. My dear people of God, finally capture now with me the love and the mercy of Christ when he sent John's disciples back with the warning, blessed is he who takes no offense at me. Jesus here teaches John and he teaches to us here this morning. Blessed are they who have found Jesus of Nazareth in the Bible, who have believed in him and who have believed all of him recorded in God's word. May God grant to each of us, to our children and our grandchildren, may God grant to each of us the desire to search our Bibles to answer the question, what think ye of the Christ? And then may we also experience his blessing upon our faith in the Christ of the scriptures. Shall we pray? Oh Christ, our hope, our heart's desire, redemption's only spring, creator of the world art thou, its savior and its king. Oh Christ, be thou our lasting joy, our ever great reward, our only glory may it be to glory.